Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. We're going to read our scripture this morning, uh, which is coming out of Joshua, and we're in chapter 5. You can follow along the screen, starting in verse 13. It says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So we are finishing out our Breaking Ground series, and it's this week and next week, and guys, we've been talking about vision and where we're going as a church, and we're going to continue talking about that today. Uh, As Missy said, we're talking about influencing through worship today and how we do that as a church, and there's been a few themes that have come up in our church over the past year that we've actually preached and and taught uh, multiple times on, and worship is one of those things. And, and so there's, there's a reason for that. And there's a reason why God is trying to craft us and mold us as a people uh, who are going to worship properly and, and seek him. So uh, this morning we're going to talk about that and, and go through that and, and finish out through Joshua. I love this passage. It's such a really powerful passage in, in the story of Joshua. Uh, and so we're going to jump into it soon. Uh, when, I was, when I was growing up, I, uh, my sister and I, my twin sister and I, we took Kung Fu together. And uh, here's a picture that shows us. So <laughs> I don't remember how old we were at this time, probably around Emerson's age, maybe a little older, 10 or so, 11, somewhere around there. Um, and there's, there's a few things, there's a few differences between uh, Kung Fu and karate, and, uh, or karate. Uh, <laughs> unagi. <laughs> and, and one is, uh, karate is, is definitely, and we have, we have a black belt in karate in the room. I won't say, I think it's, I won't say who it is because uh, I don't know if you're supposed to reveal that. But there is a black belt in the room, like a real black belt. So, um, but... Karate is very, uh, it can, it's more straightforward, right? It, it's like, it's more hard, straightforward, and Kung Fu is more flowy and more circular, and it looks more, it looks a lot more graceful uh, than, than karate does. And so if you want to see the differences, you can see like the grace in, in Kung Fu. If you like see Tai Chi, that's a form of Kung Fu. Um, and so that's what we did, we took Kung Fu, but there's another difference, and that's the uniform. 
And in karate, uh, you probably see it, you have like what's called the gi, uh, which I think just means clothes, it's like the karate clothes. Uh, and, and you have, you have this normally uh, a white one that, that kind of overlaps this side, your belt goes long, and you can see that. Well, in kung fu, it's this. You have kind of the frog buttons on your dragon shirt, um, and, and uh, you have your sash, you tie your sash in a certain way, it's not a belt, it's a sash, so it's like more graceful, right? Uh, you tie it in a certain way. You can't see the bottom half of us, but underneath, uh, it's like loose black pants, and, and it's like monk, monk shoes, canvas shoes with like the thin brown uh, sole, if you guys know what I'm talking about. So easy to move in, easy to kick people <laughs> in, easy to stretch in. And, and that's, that's, uh, that's the proper uniform. And we had to wear that <clears throat> every time we went to do Kung Fu. And so that uniform does something. It puts us in, that one in particular, it put us in the proper position. It, it put us in the place where we could go to this studio, the Kung Fu school, and we belonged to that school. We belonged to that Kung Fu school. So if we went out of that school too to competitions, they knew who we were with, because we were wearing that uniform. Okay, so we're with this school. Our, our, uh, our master was named Master Pu, and not Master Yu or me, Master, <laughs> master Pu. <laughs> That's a movie reference for those of you guys who didn't get that. Uh, uh, but, and, and so put us with him and in his school, and he was our master. The other thing it did was it put us in the right mindset. It gave us the proper perspective, okay? Because when we wore that, we weren't going to church. We didn't wear that to school. We didn't wear it to the playground. We didn't wear it anywhere else except to go do some kung fu, do some kung fu fighting. Uh, that's what we put that thing on. So it put us in the mindset, okay, now we're gonna train. Now we're gonna learn. Now we're gonna do what's necessary to, to learn and grow. And both of those things gave us the ability to earn a certain privilege. And that privilege was learning from, from our kung fu master. We, he taught us Kung Fu, he passed down to us what he learned, and we could learn that and grow in that. And if we're faithful in those, in those small things, we would move up in sashes, we'd move up in training, we'd, we, would get, we would get better at Kung Fu, and we'd learn more, more uh, complicated things. And, and so in this passage, guys, Joshua is here, and he knows what he's supposed to do already. That's been revealed to him. God has told him what he's supposed to do. He knows what he's supposed to do to prepare even. He has yet to find out how to do it, which will come next week. We're going to talk about how he's supposed to accomplish this and how he's supposed to lead out in it. But what he needs to learn about first is the proper position and the proper perspective. And that's what this whole passage is about. Joshua is is going to be, God's going to put Joshua in the proper position and the proper perspective in order to learn the how to do what he knows he's already supposed to do. And for us, church, in this vision that we've talked about, 5,600 people, 560 partners, uh, 56 plants, we know what we're supposed to do. We even have an, an idea of how we're supposed to accomplish that. I think the Lord this morning wants to put us in the proper position and the proper perspective. 
And he wants to help us get unified in that as a church so that we can actually truly be a community of worship and, and be able to influence through worship. So the bottom line for this morning is this. We're going to take this throughout the entire sermon. Proper position plus proper perspective equals God's privilege. Okay? A lot of us want to be in God's privilege. We want to, we want to know what God wants us to do. We want God's favor, we want God's blessing, but we're out of the proper position and we're out of the proper perspective to receive those things. And so this morning, we have a simple equation. Proper position plus proper perspective equals God's privilege. So let's look at, let's look at this verse, uh, these few verses here. Starting in verse 13, it says in the book of Joshua, chapter 5, when Joshua was by Jericho... He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, whenever you see the word behold in the scriptures, that is like a slap in the face. It's like, it's like you're walking, you know, in a dark alley and someone pops out. It should be a surprise. So whenever you see behold, you know that in this passage, Joshua himself was surprised. And as you're reading through the scriptures, you're like, oh, okay, I'm kind of surprised. There's a behold here. Uh, the, the, word, the word in the, the Hebrew word actually has this, the, it's, it's gine. It's like, it has this like surprised element. It's like, oh, here, here it is. So behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. Uh, there's only two other places in the scriptures that this exact Hebrew phrasing is, is in. Uh, this, so there's one before this. So um, the phrase I'm talking about is with his drawn sword in his hand. So there's one before this, which happens in Numbers 20, 22. And in Numbers 22, you have this prophet Balaam. The people of Israel are kind of out in the wilderness. They're, they're trying to make their way through Moab. And you have the king of Moab. He's scared. So he goes to this prophet Balaam, and he tries to get him to curse the people of Israel. And Balaam is on his way uh, to the king of Moab, and the angel of the Lord stands before him and stops him with his sword drawn. So that's one, one place. The other place happens after this, uh, in 1 Chronicles 21 with David. And David, uh, David sins, and he counts all his, all his military men. Okay? He does this census. And it's, it's a sin because what David is doing is he is preparing for military. He's doing military preparations, but he's not doing spiritual preparations. And the sin is he didn't trust God. And, and as David is, is going out to do this, an angel of the Lord stops him, stands over Jerusalem with his sword drawn. And so we see here, uh, you see there uh, a, a similarity to what Joshua is going through here. And, and we're going to talk about this in a second, but, but Joshua, something's a little off with Joshua if the command of the Lord is standing before him with his sword drawn. Because something was off in both of these instances. Right? And, and guys, think about this. Your sword drawn, this is a, a fighting stance. Right? So this guy standing before him, his sword is drawn. It's not sheathed. Right? It's, it's drawn out in front of him. So he's ready to strike. He's ready to go to battle. He's ready to defend. He's ready to do something with that sword if he's holding it. Right? Are we ready as a church? Because God has called us into a spiritual battle, into a battle for Toronto. You know, we sang that song, Stand 
And I, I love, like, uh, I looked at me as like kicking it old school today. Like, I, but I love that song for a couple reasons. One, because it's like nostalgic for me. Um, but two, on the album, on the Hillsong United album, it's, it's uh, recorded live in Toronto. So whenever we sing that here, I'm like, ah, oh, that's our city. Like, we're singing that over our city, and we've been singing that for a decade now, because that was, that was filmed live here. And so it's just really cool to, to, be, to sing that and say, yes, God, we want to worship you with everything that we are. I offer my whole soul, life, everything to you and put myself in a position of, of worship. And, and so, guys, as a church, like, we need to have our swords around. We need to be ready to go into battle. This vision isn't going to happen on its own, right? We need to be ready to go. And what is our sword? What's the sword of the Spirit? Right? It's not a real sword. Not, not a, not a uh, I should say, not, a, um, not an actual sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's the Bible. It's this book, right? The, the scriptures say in, in 2 Timothy, uh, they say that, uh, we are to rightly handle the word of truth. That part of your job as a follower of Jesus, as a worshiper of Jesus, is to be able to rightly handle the word of truth. And then it says uh, a couple chapters later in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that uh, all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable, beneficial uh, for four things. One is correction. One is teaching, one is rebuke or reproof, and one is training in righteousness. Four things. It's, it's for those things in order that you may be complete and equipped for every good work. That's what those things do for us. When we, when we, uh, when we walk forward in correction, we get trained, when we have teaching, when we, when we are rebuked, it does those four things to equip us for every good work. And guys, those four things aren't necessarily pleasant things, right? Like, who likes to get rebuked? Who likes to get corrected? Um, you know, taught and trained. Training isn't easy, it's hard, right? Uh, you can get injured training. You can, you can uh, like, it, it takes work, it takes dedication, it takes commitment, it takes sacrifice that we talked about last week. Uh, but it's to equip us for every good work. Like, that is what it's for, and we're to rightly handle the word of truth here. Guys, our, our leaders, me and our, our leadership team, we have our swords drawn. Like, we fully believe in this vision that God, is, that God has laid out for our church, and our swords are drawn, and we're ready for battle. And we're going forward, and we want you guys to do the same. We want our church to rise up, draw your swords, and move forward. But for some of you, your sword is sheathed. You're not ready. You're not in the proper position. You don't have the proper perspective. Maybe our church isn't there yet. Maybe all of our swords are sheathed. For some of you, I bet you can't even find your sword. When's the last time you picked this up? How is your spiritual discipline of, of learning the word, of meditating on the word, of being with the Lord? And guys, if, like I said, our leadership team, we have our swords drawn, we're going forward. If you don't even know how to handle this, if you don't even know where this is, this book, 
that you're sword of the Spirit, you have no right to tell us how to go into battle. You have no right to, to say the direction this church should go. But if you do rightly handle the word of truth, if you do, uh, if you are equipped for every good work, then we want you with us in unity doing that side by side. Because we need you to correct us. We need you to help train us. We need you to rebuke us sometimes. <laughs> we need you to teach us. We want to do it together. We want to teach together. We want to train together. We want to uh, correct together. We want to reprove, uh, reprove together, right? But you have to be able to rightly handle this word of truth. And if you can, if you don't, then come learn from us and let us show you how to correctly handle it and how to rightly handle the word of truth. And that's going to involve training. It's going to involve correction. It's going to involve reproof. It's going to involve uh, teaching. But we get to do this together. And our swords need to be drawn together if we're going to go into spiritual battle together. If we're going to see this vision accomplished together. And, and so in this verse here, Joshua sees this guy, and his sword is drawn it's in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? In verse 14, the commander of the Lord's army says, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. I love how he, he, uh, he just says no. <laughs> Joshua's like, hey, are you, are you for us or against us? He says, no. Joshua's like, uh, that wasn't a yes or no question. <laughs> I gave you two choices and you made up a different one. Uh, he says, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. You know, what's clear in, this, in that verse is that Joshua's interests, what Joshua wanted to happen, what he, what he thought should happen, was different from God's interests, from what God thought should happen, from what God wanted to happen. And so that's why he doesn't even answer his question. He says, no, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Basically, whose side are you on, Joshua? Like, what, which, are you on your side? Are you on God's side? Are you on the enemy's side? What are you fighting for here? What are you, he says, I know my position, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. And that's my perspective. Do you have the proper perspective? Do you have the proper position? Because if not, you're going to be outside of God's privilege. You're not going to walk forward into God's blessing, which is, which is the land and, and what they're about to do next week, which we'll talk about. And so he's trying to realign his, uh, Joshua's position and his perspective here. And he says, no. Guys, for us, we talk about this vision it's not our vision. Now, this, is, this is God's vision. This isn't ours. If he wants to accomplish it, he's going to accomplish it. He does not need you. He does not need me. 
And the only reason we're doing this is because we think this is where he wants us to go. Like, that's it. If God wants to change it, he'll change it. If he wants to take it away, he'll take it away. And we're like, yes, God, whatever you want, because we want to trust you with it. We don't want to make it happen. We want it to happen because you want it to happen. We want to, as Moses says in Exodus 33, we want to go where you've gone. We want to follow after you. We only want to go where you go, God. Don't lose sight of the Lord for the Lord's vision. We do that so often. How many times do you, do you lose sight of God because you're focused on something that God can give you? For some of you in here, you, you thought at this point in your life you would have that job. You thought you'd be further along at this point in your life. You thought you would have that salary. You thought you'd have that relationship. You thought you'd have that family, that marriage, that uh, possession, that car, that house, that thing. You thought you would have that fill in the blank. And you've lost sight of the vision of God for your life. You've lost sight of worship. You've lost sight of the proper position, the proper perspective, and you're actually outside of God's privilege because of that. And that's why some of you are asking the question, why, God? Like, are you for me or are you against me? Because it seems like you're against me. Because they have that, and I'm stuck with this. Because I want that, but you've given me this. And, and David deals with this in the Psalms. He's like, God, why do the wicked prosper? And David is like the king, right? So he has like everything he, he probably ever wants. And he's like, God, why do the wicked prosper? Like I'm left over here and people are uh, criticizing me. They're, they're trying to kill me, you know, all this stuff. And we can get like that, right? Because we lose sight of God because we're focused on what we can get from him. Guys, worship is not about what you can get. It's about what you can give. That's why we sang those songs. You didn't come, if you came here to receive this morning, you came here for the wrong reason. We need to be a church that wants to give glory to God, give praise to God, give our lives to God, be living sacrifices for God. So much of our Christian faith is, God, give me this. God, can I have this? God, why don't I have that? God, give me this. It's not, God, I want to give you this because you've given me everything already. You have a mentality of scarcity, not a mentality of abundance, of surplus. Guys, you have everything you could ever need in Christ Jesus. That is your proper position. Do you realize that this morning? As a church, we have everything we could ever need. We don't need more. Guys, do you know, like, I'm actually, so... Uh, those of you guys who don't know me as well, I'm, I'm very apostolically bent. I'm very, like, uh, I'm a spiritual entrepreneur. Like, I'm always looking for the next thing. I'm always, uh, like, I'm never satisfied. I'm like, we can do better at this. We can go more. If you're on our leadership, you see my leadership, and they're like, yeah. It's, yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, we, there's, there's always problems. There's always things we can do. We always want to push forward. Like there's, yeah, there's always so much. But with all that said, I'm fully satisfied in what God has done through our calling to Toronto in this church and the influence we have in the city and in the world. 
Guys, churches this size don't have influence like this in the world. I can't, be- I can't believe the amount of influence God's, God's given us. Uh, it's, it's just been amazing. And all that's come out of is willingness and obedience and saying, God, whatever you want to happen, we want to happen. We're going to give you everything. Because, guys, even though I'm satisfied in what God's done, I'm not satisfied in just being here in this. Guys, we were created to influence the world, influence the city. That is why my family and I moved here, to influence the world. We're not stopping short of doing that. And we're already doing that six years in. Already. And I, and I can tell you about all these, all these things, but in, in a few weeks, I'll be on a global trip. Um, London, Johannesburg, West Bank, Hong Kong. This trip, and all this is based on our global influence as a church. Like, it's crazy. I'm literally flying around the world, Toronto, and then Hong Kong back to Toronto. Like, I'm going to be exhausted. <laughs> Do you age when you fly like that? Like, oh, I'll be like three years older when I get back. Yeah, which way am I going? Maybe I'll be younger, three years younger. <laughs> I'll lose gray hair. So it's, but like, that is, that's what we've, that was, that's what we've been able to see happen as a church, guys. And God wants to give us so much more if we're in the proper position and the proper perspective. And we want to be that church. We want to be a church that God can use because, guys, if he can't use us anymore, he doesn't need us. He can use someone else. And I hope that day never happens. But if it does, we need to just say, okay, God, whatever you want. And so here, that's what's happening. He says, no, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Guys, oh, just one more thing on this. <laughs> that thing, whatever that thing is for you, that you're like, ah, oh, that, that thing is what's preventing me, stopping me. Guys, hear this for you this morning. No, I am the Lord, and now I have come. That's for you this morning. When will Jesus be enough? When will you just be satisfied in him? When will you be able to say, God, I don't even need that, whatever that thing is. And all I need is you. If we can be a church that says, Jesus, you are more than enough for us. Your grace is more than sufficient for us. And he's going to do great things. And so in Joshua, in verse 14, the second part, he falls on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? So you see here two things, and these two things are needed for worship. The proper position, Joshua puts himself in a position to hear, trust, and obey. And the proper perspective, Joshua calls himself his servant. He humbles himself and says, I am your servant. For for us, as you live your Christian faith, um, if we think about those two things, so the first thing, proper position, just in a position to hear, trust, and obey God. So hear, trust, and obey, right? And then the second thing, proper perspective. Like you are a humble servant to the Lord. Think about these two things. Some of us can do one okay, right? We can hear God's voice, but 
sometimes we stop short of obeying God's voice. Right? And, and what you've done, uh, if you're to live a life of worship, what you've done there, instead of worshiping God, you now you worship yourself. You have made an exchange for God and put yourself where God should be because now you're just doing whatever you want to do. Right? So you've heard God and you said, no, I'm God. I get to choose what I want to do, when I want to do it, and how I want to do it. That's you saying, I'm God to God. Following me there? So some of us, that's as far as we get. And we keep on stumbling over and over. That's why it's important, like the proper position is, is in Christ Jesus, hearing, trusting, and obeying. You have to walk forward in obedience. Worship is about action. It's about obedience. You have to do something, right? Number, and then the, the, the other thing is, sometimes we can do that well. Sometimes you do that well. You hear, you trust, and obey, but you do so for your own glory. So you're not even getting to two where you're a humble servant. You're doing it for your own glory. You're doing it so people can recognize you. You're doing it for adulation. You're doing it so someone can praise you. You're doing it uh, so someone can give you appreciation and say, oh, look what he did. Look what she did. That's, that's great. I thank you for doing that. And that's why you do what you do. Guys, we, we had a leadership appreciation last night. Um, and we, we love to appreciate our leaders. Uh, sometimes, yeah, we love to appreciate our leaders. Uh, and we want to get better and better at it. We want to get better and better at a lot of things. Uh, but we really want to get better at, appreciation, at appreciating our leaders. Um, what I could say about all those in the room last night is none of them do what they do to receive that appreciation. They just do it because they love Jesus. And that was so evident and amazing in that room last night. Now, we, we um, did something really fun last night and, and gave out some prizes. <laughs> uh, or I don't know what you call them, little things. Uh, but um, and it was funny because <laughs> uh, Archie, where's, oh no, well, Cindy's in here. Archie said, hey, um, Liam served this morning. I wonder if it's because you gave out the, the prizes last night. <laughs> and I was like, I should start giving out prizes in service. <laughs> get people to, uh, get people to, to serve more. Because we give out like a little, I don't know, it's just, I don't know, it's kind of, yeah. We give out something really particular that's specific to that person. Missy and I really spend time praying and thinking about that person. We give out something really specific to that person. You can ask our leaders if you want to know. Um, uh, so maybe, maybe Liam, in a few years. <laughs> but um, guys, none of them do it for the appreciation. Like, we are here, we, we're here to serve God, love people, love God the best that we know how. And, and here, <clears throat> Joshua is put into this position where he has humbled himself, and he says, I'm your servant. And in verse 15, the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is the first time holiness, holy, holiness, is mentioned in the book of Joshua. We haven't seen it up until this point. We've seen like consecration, and, and they have similar meanings, but this, this word for holy is the first time it's mentioned. And, uh, you know, I talked about uh, Joshua being set apart, right? That is, 
in his proper perspective, in his proper position, he's being set apart for something. That's, that's what holy means. And, and I talked about the, the uniform earlier as the, the kung fu uniform. We were set apart to do kung fu, right? We're put in the proper position with this school. We're put in the proper perspective with, with learning kung fu. And we're set apart in that way. Here, God is talking about holiness. And, and Joshua takes off his feet. And it should make you think of something that's already happened in the scriptures up to this point. So if you're reading through the scriptures, that particular phrasing should make you think of something else that's already happened, which is Exodus chapter 3, where Moses is before the burning bush, and he removes his shoes, for he's standing on holy ground. So saying something about Joshua, just like Moses was, being set apart for something very specific and, and really, actually, really amazing. Um, the thing is here... He's being set apart for this, this war, right? They're about to go into battle. They're about to do this conquest of the land. And I know some of us in here, probably most of us in here, are like, how do we reconcile this? Especially here in, in our country where we love peace and order and good governance. If you know, those are in our constitution, right? Like, we love those things. We want to maintain the peace. Uh, next, our next series, actually, funnily, funny enough, is called Peacemaker. Uh, our, our Advent series is called Peacemaker. And so how do, we, how do we reconcile being peacemakers and what is happening in this passage here? Because he's being set apart for something very specific, and, and it's kind of like destruction and war. So here's, here's the key, an overall key, then we're going to go through four things. But an overall key for you guys is, this is a spiritual battle, not merely a physical one. That's very important. This isn't just Joshua and Israel going in and doing their thing, uh, whatever they want. This is spiritual, okay? Uh, it's also physical, so don't dichotomize the two, but it's, it's, a, it's a spiritual battle. So think about that as you go through these four things. And I hope these four things can give you context to understand the conquests, okay? Uh, they may not be fully satisfactory. We don't have four hours to, to walk through all these things. We have about four minutes. So I'm going to walk through these things. If you have more questions about this, you can always come and talk to me. But the first one is, this is a unique period in salvation history, okay? So before Moses... There was no, there wasn't, they didn't have land, right? During this Moses, now Joshua, they're all going to the land. And then after Jesus, guys, there also is not a big point of emphasis on the land, okay? The focus after Jesus isn't on the land, okay? So this is a specific point in redemption history, in salvation history, that God is doing something specific and spiritual in, right? He hasn't called us as a church to take over Toronto, right? We're not supposed to go in here and walk around City Hall and see the walls fall down, right? That's not what we're supposed to do. There's something specific happening here, so let's keep it in its context. Number two, this isn't because Israel is so good that they deserve the land and the Canaanites did not, okay? This isn't about their goodness and their wickedness. This, this is actually just about their wickedness. Okay, Deuteronomy 
uh, 9 says this, do not say in your heart, and this is, this is um, speaking to the people of Israel before they enter the promised land. Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, well, it's because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it's because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that God has driven out before you, and that he may confirm the, the word of the Lord to your forefathers. So you see here, it's explicit in the scriptures that there was a, a wickedness that God, God was trying to craft a nation to be a light to all the nations. And in Genesis 15, God says to Abraham, I'm gonna give you a land. And when I give you that land, it's only gonna be because the people in the land have reached their wickedness limits. It, the, it says there that the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet complete. The Canaanites and the Amorites are the same. Was not yet complete. And so 400 years God gave them, 400 years of patience, 400 years of mercy, 400 years of prevenient grace, 400 years where God says, please come to me. And they didn't. They did not. And God says, well, I need this piece of land to redeem the world. And this is the people who's going to do it. Now, they're not so great either. <laughs> In another passage, God says, you guys are stubborn. You are wicked. You don't listen to what I'm saying. You've, you've forsaken all, all these things. So they're not so great either, guys. But God's like, it's kind of the best I got. And so I need them in the land to be a light to the nations, okay? So that's number two. Number three, this is God's war, not Israel's. Remember that. This is God's war, not Israel's. Israel is just an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. It's God who's doing this, okay? Later on in the scriptures, God uses other nations as his instruments to come and pronounce judgment on Israel, Babylon, Assyria, Midian, and a whole bunch of other ones, the Amalekites. Like, he uses those nations to come and bring Israel back to him. Okay? So uh, remember, this is God's word, not Israel's. And then number four, recognize your position and your perspective. You are to hear, trust, and obey, and you are a humble servant. Guys, God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts, Isaiah says. And sometimes we just can't understand it all. And we have to trust him. We have to recognize ourselves as his humble servant. And guys, because those first three may not be sufficient for you. Maybe like, ah, oh, well, I still have questions. That's when we get to four and say, well, I trust your goodness, God, over my own sense of goodness. God, I trust your justice over my own finite, sinful justice. God, I trust you. I trust your holiness. I trust your grace. I trust your mercy over my own idea of what those things are. Because guys, we have to get to a point in humility where we say, I can, if humility, I mean, if, if justice is this big, I probably only understand this much of it. If God's justice in his fullness is like this. All right, so don't presume you understand all of it, because you don't. You don't see all of it. We talked about last week, you don't even understand the motives and intentions of other people's hearts. Only God can do that. We can never pronounce final judgment. Right? We can never pronounce condemnation. That's only with God. So we got to trust his justice in that. 
And church, we are, we're at a point where, in this passage where, um, like I said, Joshua knows what he's supposed to do. God has now prepared him in the proper position and perspective to now know how to do it, which we'll talk about next week. And, and for you, your position is in Christ Jesus. As an individual, you are in Christ Jesus. You are, that is your proper position. You are seated in, in Colossians 3, you're seated at the right hand of the Father. That's amazing. Paul says, Christ is your life. You are seated in him. Ephesians 1 says you have every spiritual blessing at your disposal. Every one of them, all of them, you have at your disposal. Like we, we are in Christ Jesus. That's your proper position. For us as a church, we have, we have now been given a new perspective, a new vision, and God is calling us to that, but we have to humble ourselves. We can't, we can't do it on our own. We want it to happen through God and only by God and only if he's gone before us. And we want to follow him in this. If you guys are following me in this, then uh, you're, you're going you're gonna to fail because I'm going to fail. Uh, we're, we're looking to God in this. But we also don't want the vision to usurp God. We want to keep our eyes focused on him because visions are living language. They can change at any time. And we want to follow, follow him. And that's where, that's where our, our church is, is uh, positioned right now in order to do that. But we have to draw our swords and go into the spiritual battle with him. You know, this, this passage where, where he talks about holiness, where we're on holy ground, uh, when we enter into worship, we enter into that every time. We enter into this holiness. And, and guys, it's not a place right? Uh, the, the Samaritan woman says to Jesus in John chapter 4, she says, we worship on that mountain, you worship on that mountain. And, and he says, no, it's not about a place anymore. He says, there come a day when you're going to worship in spirit and in truth. And we live in that day because the spirit has come and he lives inside us and he dwells in us as a church. He dwells in you individually. And, and so wherever the church is, wherever you are, that's where you bring holy ground. So you bring it to your workplace. You bring it to your family. You bring it here. Guys, this, this building here isn't holy. We make it that way because it's the spirit of Christ in us that makes it that way. And, and God says, be holy as I am holy. And that happens twice in the scriptures. One in Leviticus 19, uh, where he says, be holy as I am holy to the people. And, and that chapter in particular and all the chapters surrounding it, are all about position and proper position, recognizing God, hearing, trusting, and obeying the voice of the Lord, that passage. And then he says it, he says it in 1 Peter. And let me throw this, let's throw this passage up there in 1 Peter because it's all about perspective. He says, therefore, preparing your minds, right, perspective for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, so he's assuming that already. You've heard, you've trusted, you've obeyed. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since, <clears throat> since it is 
Do we have the rest? I'll look it up. I got you. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And so you have here proper position and proper perspective. Right? To be holy as God is holy. And guys, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus takes it up another notch. He says, actually, in his summation of the law, he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And you read that and you're like, what? How? How could we ever? How could we ever be perfect as God is perfect? And that word there means complete. It means having everything, lacking nothing. We can only do that in Christ Jesus. You can only be perfect and complete and holy in Christ Jesus. He's the only one who can give us all those things. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. And if you're in Christ Jesus, stop trying to leave that position. All right? I feel like sometimes in our lives we do that. We're living sacrifices, and we're on the altar, and when the fire gets hot, we get off the altar. Right? Like, we're supposed to stay on that altar through the fire. We're supposed to persevere. But we kind of say, no, our position is in Christ. Well, I kind of like this position better. No, your position is in Christ Jesus. Now humble yourself as a servant of the Lord. This whole Breaking Ground series we've been going through, we've been tracing the theme of being strong and courageous. And when I think about this passion, like how can we be perfect? Well, we need the proper perspective. We need the proper position, which gives us God's privilege. But it also, we need the proper uniform. Because that gives us those certain privileges. And in Ephesians 6, it says this. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Guys, the armor, just like that kung fu uniform, that armor puts you with a certain school. You're learning from a certain master. It puts you on Christ's side. And sometimes we're, we're like, God, where are you? Why aren't, where, are you even near? Like, am I on, like, are you on my side? Are you for me or are you against me? And God is saying, I'm for you if you're for me. I'm on your side if you're on my side. Guys, sometimes we're just sitting there waiting and we want God on our side to do what we want him to do. God's like, no, no, no. Your position is over here. Your side is over here. You have to come over here. My, my best interests are for you if your best interests are for me. Right? Like there's an alignment and a perspective that needs to happen. And that has to happen in order to put this armor of God on. He says, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, all of it, that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on, and here's the elements, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes for your feet, having put put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, and all circumstances should take up the shield of faith in which you can extinguish all flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and, 
have your sword drawn. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Because which, which of these are you missing? Paul says we're supposed to take on the whole armor of God. All of it. What are we missing as a church? What are you missing as an individual here? Helmet of salvation, shield of faith, sword of the spirit, gospel of peace, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth. As all those things need to happen, that entire uniform needs to come into play if we're going to walk forward into God's privilege. So what are you missing there? You know, the good thing about this armor is he doesn't say, hey guys, as followers of Jesus, go craft this for yourself. Go make this armor. He just says, pick it up and put it on. It's there for you. All you have to do is wear it. All you have to do is is put it on and walk forward because Jesus has accomplished all of it for us. And so as a church, let's walk forward with that full armor on. Let's walk forward in faith and in truth and in our salvation. That should be informing our mind, right? Our righteousness should be guarding this area, our hearts, right? That shield of faith goes in front of us like a shield does. That's where the Spirit defends and strikes ahead of us, right, against the enemy. And we walk forward only in the gospel of peace, tearing down walls, not building up walls. That's the type of church we're to be if we're to be a church of worship. So our proper position in Christ Jesus, and then for us as a church, our proper perspective needs to be humble servants following after the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, it is true. It is, as Missy said earlier, oh, I, just, I just love it. It is so life-giving. It is, it is um, even, when, even when it cuts us and, and tears us down, it builds us up. You do that by the power of your spirit through your word. And so we praise you this morning, Lord Jesus, for just leaving us with this sword of the spirit so that we don't go into battle empty-handed. We thank you that you have made a way, you've made the way for us to walk forward in spirit and in truth. So make us a church uh, that, that steps forward in unity and in humility with a proper position in Christ Jesus, we ask in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.